with 100 people in a room, probably going to find five people at the end of the experience going, what the hell was that all about? You can't design content to please those five. You've got to design content to please the 95 people that are in the room that do connect. The big reason I brought you in is you're, you've built this successful business around educating through a very unique medium of taking people on these virtual considerations of challenge, pulling teams together. But once upon a time, you were a ranger. I was desperate for that job. The last exercise was a sort of a mock game drive. My turn came as the sun was setting. And I came around a corner and I remember there was a herd of zebra out on the savannah and I kind of did what the guidebook said, which is turn off the engine and then sort of turn around and start to speak. Halfway through the explanation when I just heard this <laughs> it was a sound that I'd never heard before. But there was one person on that Land Rover that had heard that sound before and his, he was the senior guide. His name was John Dixon. He physically pulled me out of the driver's seat without a word. He jumped behind it and he headed off in the direction of that sound. He stopped all of a sudden. He just turned around and, and waited and two, three seconds and then said Ingwe call. And Ingwe is the Shangan name for a leopard. So we tracked this leopard down and each time we got closer and closer and closer. And it was John using his creativity and his knowledge and his experience. And ultimately we found that leopard down deep in a dry riverbed. And that completely changed my life. Ian, how are you, my friend? I'm good, thanks, Brad. How are you doing? Oh, mate, I'm uh, I'm very good. I'm actually a little bit excited because I know something about you today that we're going to we're going to go into game territory. Yes, and part of the fun of some of the work that you do is take people on little adventures. So mm. I hope you can show me a little bit of that today. Yes, um, but um, yeah, cert certainly something I think um, our audience will enjoy too. Mm. Um, so, mate, I, um, I'm going to do a little bit of an intro yes. and uh, see if we can get uh, this, this game started um, because the, the, you know, the big reason I brought you in is you're, you've built this successful business um, around educating through a very unique medium of taking people on these virtual uh, considerations of challenge, mm. uh, of pulling teams together uh, into difficult circumstances and seeing how they navigate through them. And we can unpack that a little bit later. Mm. That's more the end story. Yeah. <laughs> um, but once upon a time, you were a ranger, I believe. Yes. Um, so, mate, maybe if you can tell us a bit about who Ian is and we get we get the ball rolling. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Brad. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think all of us at some point in time can relate to a time in their life when they were uncertain and disaffected and not really sure what they wanted to do. I've, I felt it most acutely in my early 20s. I failed dismally at university. I had two, three goes, I always tell people, three goes at my first year. Uh, botany and zoology were my majors and it just didn't work for me. This was back in South Africa. And um, I remember when my folks came up to me one day and said, look, you know, you might want to think about spreading your wings and we know what that's code for, which is, you know, move out of the house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get out so, of here, mate. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't sure what to do, to be honest. So, you know, back in those days, I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit now, but, you know, you found jobs in newspapers under the classified section. Um, and that's, I remember sitting in a cafe in Johannesburg reading the Star newspaper and there was a little two-liner two uh, and it said, Game rangers wanted, no chances. Now, in South African slang, no chances means don't bother 
applying for this job if you're not serious about it. Mm. So um, I wasn't sure what Game Rangers did, to be honest. Uh, but I was lucky enough that my folks took me to the bush when I was a kid often. Um, so I thought, well, it's better than sweeping the streets. And I drove my little Opal Cadet in those days, the six hours down to to the Kruger National Park to a place called Thornybush Game Reserve. Mm -hmm. And um, the moment that I went through the grounds and looked around, I, I just felt something in me sort of shift. And uh, it turned out it was going to be a two-week-long uh, job interview um, with another 13 other aspirant game rangers. Um, and it was the practical side of what they asked us to do over those 13 days um, that really hooked me you know this is driving open air land rovers through the bush firing a high caliber rifle all the kind of typical boys own kind yeah, of stuff yeah, that you yeah. that you would it really for me it was hugely exciting but the by the time sort of the last day rolled around uh, um and they were going to make the decision as to who got the job after the day i was desperate for that job like nothing else okay so they converted um, you they converted me and um <laughs> the last exercise uh, was uh, was a sort of a mock game drive um, where some of the aspirant guides would be the guests, the international guests. They would sit on the back of the Land Rover and then uh, you would get an opportunity for 15 minutes or so, 20 minutes or so to strut your stuff and then it would rotate, you know. So we mm -hmm. would, you know, we would go around and the senior guide would be sitting in the passenger seat sort of, you know, with his clipboard, making sure that you did what you were supposed to do. My turn came as the sun was setting, and everyone that's been to the African bush will know this is, you know, that's the best time. Mm -hmm. Day animals are going to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Night animals are waking up. And I came around a corner, and I remember there was a herd of, of zebra out on the savannah, and I kind of did what the guidebook said, which is turn off the engine and then sort of turn around and start to speak to the guests about whatever you knew about zebra. And as we're going through this uh, ex exercise, switched it off halfway through the explanation when I just heard this, <laughs> and it was uh, it was a sound that I'd never heard before, and um, it stopped us all in our tracks. And I kind of, you know, I'm a competitive soul, and I I just looked through the corner of my eye, and I could see that my f aspirant guys, my fellow, my competitors in this situation, they hadn't heard that sound either. But there was one person on that Land Rover that had heard that sound before, and his, he was the senior guide. His name was John Dixon, and he was sitting in the passenger seat. And the moment he heard that sound, he changed completely. I mean, the previous 13 days, to be honest, he looked completely bored the whole time. <laughs> but the moment he heard that sound, he changed. And um, he physically pulled me out of the driver's seat without a word. He jumped behind it, and he headed off in the direction of that sound. Two, three hundred meters through the bush, no road. He stopped all of a sudden and uh, he just turned around and, and waited and two, three seconds and then said, Ingwe call. And Ingwe is the Shanghai name for a leopard. That was a leopard making its uh, territorial call. And uh, John was the only guy that knew that what that sound was. And uh, we waited for maybe two, three minutes on the Land Rover. And then all of a sudden we started to hear this sound two, three hundred meters away. That's that's the squirrel. That's mm. a squirrel making an alarm call. Now, that squirrel wasn't alarming at us. 
um, it was an alarming of the leopard because the leopard's a threat. Ah, but, okay. but, but John knew that that was the case. So that was obviously a signal that the leopard was there. So we kind of drove off a little bit over there and waited. And again, a couple of minutes later, this is Impala making an alarm call. So we tracked this leopard down and each time we got closer and closer and closer. And it was John using his creativity and his knowledge and his experience. And ultimately we found that leopard down deep in a dry riverbed. It was completely dark by this time. But I became a game ranger uh, that day. Um, and to be honest, I've never been anything different. I I'm a guide. I'm a game ranger, I'm a guide. I've, I've morphed into different things over the years, but at my core, I'm a guide. So that's my, that's how I became um, somebody that is excited about teaching others about nature and adventure and wildlife. Outstanding! It's uh, I, I, as you told that story, I could see myself in the uh, in the Land Rover with you. I'm sure some of our listeners would have as well. And you know, I love the I love the the uh, animal sounds there. I, 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 it's uh, you've done that before, haven't you? I have. <laughs> <laughs> it's um. So, so you were hooked, right? And not only that, you're in the process of being assessed, and I assume you got away with that last assessment. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, I was lucky enough to to get the job. Um, two of us were selected out of the fourteen, and um, I mean, to, I mean, a bit embarrassed to say this now, but the next two years, uh, you know, for me working as a guide, you know, I was just fixated about the bush. I was interested in the animals, I was interested in the geology, I was interested in the trees, I was interested in the insects, I was interested in the birds. Uh, the one thing I wasn't interested in was the guests, my customers. I, 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 I treated them like an inconvenience to my lifestyle. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say it now because thinking back, you know, you, we, you know as a business person now, you, you think how, how awful, but, but that's what it was like. And that was your passion playing out, I'm imagining. It's, oh, it's, it's just, you, this was more like a, it wasn't a job. It felt like it, was, it no, sounds it like it was more than, it was actually probably more of a lifestyle and opportunity for you to live, live no, out something you really the, enjoyed. Exactly. I mean, all the, you know, we were staying, you know, you stayed on, on the, in the middle of the Kruger National Park. You worked seven days a week uh, for three months and you got to a two week break off. And it was, a, you know, in summer anyway, it was a four o'clock start and it was a 10 o'clock end, uh, um, four o'clock in the morning and 10 in the evening. So it was, you were a host, mm. uh, you know, and you're a host for people's, um, people's dreams. You know, people dream of going on safari in Africa and it's enormously expensive. And, uh, you know, again, uh, embarrassingly, I, I didn't really care much about that. Um, <laughs> to start with. Uh, I was going to say, well, it sounds like it changed. It did change. What it happened? Um, uh, one, one evening we were on, we we're on, on a game, on a game drive and you know, the, the joy of modern travel is that you can be sitting in wall street and then, you know, literally 36 hours later, you can be sitting in a pretty remote part of the world, mm. but you know, what it's like, you know, when you travel like that, your brain is still where mm. you left it, which mm. was back in the office, mm. even though physically you may be somewhere different. And we were out on safari, we were watching a pride of lions, hundred wildebeest. And this thing had sort of unfolded like you'd expect. It didn't end well for the wildebeest. But on the on us pulling out of what we call the sighting, I heard this person from Wall Street turn around and say, I wish my team back in the office behaved like that pride of line have just behaved. And I could not believe what I was hearing because this thing was gruesome. And it was uh, it was nature in the raw. And I couldn't believe it. This guy was think that thought that this was something that he would he would 
aspire to to be. Um, but I, I so I thought a little bit about it. And that evening in the Boma, Boma is an open eating area that you know where we where we have our meals in Africa. So I, I went in the Boma, I walked up to him, and I plucked up the courage. And I said, "Why? Why did you say what you said there?" He said, well, what, you know? And I said, no, the, the whole thing with the wildebeest and the and your team. And I explained my misgivings and he turned around and said, no, 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 hang on, let me just stop you right there. I'm talking about the concept of what I saw there. What I saw there, when that pride of lion were hunting that wildebeest, all of them were hunting the same thing. Every individual in the hunting unit seemed to know what their role was. Um, I want to see more of that in my office. I don't see enough of that. And when we, when we saw those males uh, later on in the evening and what they were doing out on patrol and roaring and you know, protecting the territory, I would love to see more of that from my, my marketing team. <laughs> yeah. and, and he started to draw a few parallels there. And, and, and I, was, I was amazed then because at that point in time, my life changed. Because every time somebody came to the bush, uh, into the environment that I loved, I started to ask them what they were seeing through their eyes. And that completely changed my life because that those it wasn't just about me at that point in time. It became about other people and the way in which they saw things. And I came to see the African bush as a as this giant ecosystem, which was like a market, um, where every species in that ecosystem had worked out a way of being able to find a niche in that system mm-hmm. through the process of evolution. So over hundreds of thousands of years, they've evolved in a way that allows them to completely occupy a niche and survive and, and, and thrive in that, in, the, in that space. So that kind of, with, I found that fascinating. Mm. So I started to play around a little bit with, with that as an idea. Mm. It's, it is fascinating. It's a, it's a lovely metaphor for... I guess business and what you've what, what we're uh, probably about to explore actually, yeah. but it's uh, you know as as you're talking about it that that idea of a niche and the team and the species and and how they work together. I often talk to um talk to clients of ours about culture and and I describe um, you know an ecosystem like a you know maybe it might be a um, a sea environment and mm. a shark will thrive in the sea. Mm. Shark will thrive. It will have its uh, its environments have rock shelves. It will be able to identify its prey. It will, it will know you know where where and when and how the currents will influence what it needs to do. Yes. Um, but we throw a monkey in there. Yeah, it doesn't last very long, <laughs> no. right? And and uh, and of course our culture is there to support the success of um, you know our, our people and the right type of people. And I, I guess I draw that 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 conclusion all of the time. It's a lovely yeah. lovely relationship. But what what, what is it that you've learned and how have you leveraged the idea of nature, the idea of animal life um, in the work that you do now? Maybe you can draw the connection through. Yeah, that was, I mean, when I was a guide, it was in those days when some corporates used to go down to the bush for their conferences. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back in the, in the early 90s, you know, the in thing was team building. You know, you went down there and you you did a team building experience. And we used to we used to run outdoor team building experiences. So that was my initial exposure to sort of facilitation was when I wasn't guiding guests out on safari, we would we would help facilitate a team activity. And it was very basic stuff. Um, but it 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 was interesting. And I started to develop an interest in 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 leadership and teamwork in general. Um, 
And a couple of the clients would turn around, they would enjoy that sort of style of facilitation. They'd say, well, we've got our, we've, we've got our conference tomorrow in the conference room at the lodge. Um, we'd love to talk about goals, but we don't want to talk about goals in the normal traditional sense. Could you come and tell a few lion stories? that um, could help us relate um, goals to. And, so, so, and then it kind of builds over. So I developed this little keynote presentation on you know, high-performance teams and this ecosystem idea. And I started to travel around, not just in, uh, in South Africa, but in, internationally doing a few of these sort of wildlife leadership teaming, high-performance culture talks. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get bored. I mean, you, you know, Brad, what it's like when you do a keynote, you know, you, well, I did anyway, I mm-hmm. got bored doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And a couple of clients would come up and say, well, we love it in theory and it works. And I love the stories, but how does this translate practically into, you know, creating a high performance culture? Yeah. yeah. So it almost comes from a stimulate and make people aware to well, now what we've exactly. to do. we want to do something with this. And yeah. for years I said, I don't know what really, because I didn't have any training in turning sort of my stories into training materials, but I had had exposure to this team building workshop kind of idea. So I thought to myself, well, why don't we try and, why don't we try and create a workshop um, or a series of uh, leadership experiences that, um, that didn't expose the participants to all the vagaries of being out in nature, you know? So I'd love to take, guess animal tracking, but you know, you're tracking a 230 kilogram lion. It's not a safe thing. <laughs> no, <laughs> not many HR departments are signing off on that. <laughs> no, it's not working. So, um, but, so, but how about we film some experts tracking a 230 kilogram uh, lion and uh, observe what their processes are and the way in which they go about it and then come back and in a studio, create um, some tracking scenarios, and then take a normal corporate audience, break them up into teams of about eight and say, we want you to imagine that you were tracking out in the field uh, and faced with the same set of um, conditions that the real trackers had faced, the same decision points, and then get them to make a team-based decision. and then we would play them the consequences of their choice, which would lead to another choice and another and another. And, you know, it's kind of choose your own adventure type idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's, that, that's kind of, is really the core yeah. of our business now is, is going out, finding a whole bunch, bunch of subject matter experts in surfing and cave diving and mountain climbing and, you know, get them to um, set them a high performance goal and then film it and then go ahead and, and create leadership teaming experiences off the back of that. Outstanding. Well, I know this is taken off. This is, and it's cool. It's, I mean, I can, <laughs> it's a, it's such a, an interesting way to, to learn and, and challenge someone from an experiential point of view to, to construct their own thinking in, in an abstract environment or pro- environment that's not common to them and draw those parallels back mm. to their work. What, what, what do you, I mean, I'll, I'd love to look at the production of it all because I think that's cool from a business point of view, but when you look at a high performance concept of mm. you know, building a high performing team and, and I guess the the pillars of design, right? So you're saying, I want the team to, to be challenged and pressure tested around certain ideas. Mm. What, what are the ideas that you're trying to get them to land during a, you know, the, the process of this learning and what, what does, how does that relate to high performance? Yeah. Um, 
Well, the first thing you know, um, the first thing that I try and focus on is is understanding. I've discovered this over the years. Actually, is 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 you need to build something that's got a purpose to begin with. Mm-hmm. So the starting point is to find out, keep your ear close to the ground, and find out what are some of the challenges that your clients are wrestling with right now. What is the need? You know, um, typical ones we do are you know, increasingly, Ian, we need to do more with less. It's just um, so common. So common. You know. Any every listener or <laughs> on this uh, podcast is probably dealing with the same concept. Yeah, yeah. Ex- yeah. exactly. Um, you know, how do how do I do a better job of making sure that people with different views get an opportunity to be heard? You know, that might be one. Um, you know, how do we deal when deal with situations that are out of our control, but we still have to you know, deliver a high performance objective, you know, mm. all of the, so, so those are the kind of things that I listen carefully for. And then once I feel like I've got a handle on some of those, I then think about what are some of the adventure themes that if we went out into the field, these kind of things could emerge naturally in a story. Mm. Mm. Um, and then once we're in there, we then go and we just film whatever happens in the experience and then we create the content off the back of that. So for me, it's 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 um, being very clear about um, about what a client is looking for, understanding that everybody has an existing culture, whether they like it or not, and then to define the culture that they would like to see, and then work back from there. Yeah, reverse engineer the future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's um, that makes complete sense. And and if you were to, you know, I know you shared those three areas of sort of the. Um, uh, inclusiveness, yes. uh, the purposeful direction side of it, and and dealing with doing more with less. Yes, and then you had that third piece, which was really around um, navigating to a high performance outcome in spite of all of our challenges and yes. in spite of all the pressure that we're under. Yes, Wh- which of those three would you more commonly see? Do you think in 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 the, out there? Yeah, you know, I I think that whole idea about operating and I mean we hear it a lot. It's a bit of a cliche now, but that kind of VUCA environment, you know, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. You know, that VUCA environment is something that seems to be all pervasive mm. in all industries, in 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 all geographies, and in all teams. So you know, I think if we could give people um, skills at an individual team and organizational level to be able to deal with that kind of VUCA environment. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I would be focusing yeah, on. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. What do, what do you notice when they're going through you know, a typical group? Where do you see um, what do you see with when you look at a group and what are you observing? What do you notice that might be some pitfalls that are really common yeah. in a team? What are some of the things that maybe you, you know, may, might have surprised you even? Um, yeah. yeah, I'd love to hear about that. Um, a few things. I mean, the first the first thing that comes across is because this kind of format. This virtual adventure format is a little different from what most people have exposed to. You certainly get um, that initial lift in engagement early on in the piece. You know, mm. people are typically when they go to a leadership event or a leadership program or a conference, they're expecting the senior person to stand up and start throwing some graphs at them and what are the latest numbers and you know that's the kind of and it's PowerPoint driven. You know, that's the typical format, isn't it? Even today. Yeah. Uh, um, so, you know, when you throw them into an environment uh, where they uh, probably know very little about animal tracking or cave diving, or the very few subject matter experts in that space, 
And yet you're asking them to, you're setting themselves, you're setting them a mission and you're asking them to perform as a team in that environment. Mm -hmm. That immediately uh, um, creates a, a level of engagement in my experience that you don't typically get. But then once the sort of original sugar hip of this is different, uh, hey, this might be quite cool, weighs off, then people turn around and say, well, hang on, what do I need to revert back to in order to perform in an environment I don't know? Well, we all know how to set up a team. You know, we, What is the objective? What is our purpose? What's our mission? How are we going to treat one another? How are we going to make decisions? Um, in what circumstances are we going to make some trade-offs? You know, These are the things that we know uh, work um, in that environment. That's what we try and do early on in the piece. Mm. We'll see that that starts to mm. starts to connect. And when you say we all know, we might know, but do the teams you experience naturally gravitate towards that? They or, they, yeah. they tend to. Yeah. You yeah. know, and and and, and you know, so it might be that somebody's uh, you know um, been part of a high performance sport team at one point, or they might have been part of a of a, you know, some kind of social grouping. That's that's delivered, uh, you know, um, you know, great results. Or you know, everybody's got, or well, most people anyway, have got a um, like some, a reference, point. a history, mm. exactly, a benchmark in the past of when when things were going really well. Yeah, this is what it looked like. So let's go ahead and try and replicate some of those things in an environment that is fun, ironically not not threatening. Yeah, uh, because it's a game after all. Yeah, yeah. But then the key, of course, is halfway through this experience that you want to stop every now and then and say, well, this might be an animal tracking decision we're making, but isn't it like, and then the like part what, is what the What does business. it relate to? Exactly. Yeah, where's the parallel here? And, and that's the facilitated conversation. You want to get people talking about um, human dynamics outside of the adventure world, mm. more closely aligned to what ultimately they're trying to achieve at work, but you do it in a... It's a bit like a Trojan horse, just enough adventure to get them thinking differently, but get them to the point where they're actually having productive conversations that mean something for themselves and the business. Mm. I, I love that. And I think, you know, if you, you know, I've been part of some of these facilitations before, and it's, it's, it's also about helping them become um, less skeptical about the idea yeah, yeah. and embracing it for the right reasons and embracing it to, to do, do the, you know, use this exercise as a way to yes. support one another. How do you set the environment so that, you know, perhaps those that are going, well, I know it's just a game and technically if I lose the game, it doesn't really matter. There's yeah. not life and death, right? How, how do yeah. you how do you help them come on that journey? Uh, you know, and we've got ourselves to blame a little bit along the side here. For the last sort of 30 years, we've had team experiences that have um, been mixed, let's be honest. So every time that somebody goes through a team experience that didn't really deliver what they're hoping for, it adds another layer of cynicism on whether this is valuable or not. Yeah. So uh, you know, I think it's really important early on to uh, connect the experience itself with the average participant in the room or on the video call, as it may be, real challenges that they face. So you need, to, I mean, it's, this is as old as the hills, is you need to build a rapport with your audience mm. So that there's a um, there's an understanding as to how this might be useful for them, and that and, and that can't happen, you know, twenty minutes into it. It has to happen in the first yeah you know, two minutes of when you open your mouth. There needs to be a connection. Um, so that that's the first point, and then the next the next part is to is to show them that and demonstrate that this is going to be a a different experience. Dare I say, it, even a fun experience but that it's also going to be intellectually challenging. 
I think you can do both of those at the same time. I don't think those are mutually exclusive. Um, in fact, I think people learn better when they are having fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, it's memorable mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. You know, I think that's the challenges in learning is to have something to draw back to that you can remember and recall. Exactly. Um, and I also think one of the things I've noticed over the years is that there's always a bell curve in the room. Of any type, if you oh, say, yeah. if you describe any, okay, who is who is the most skeptical? Well, there's one right at that end, and there's one that's like completely engaged, no matter what you throw at them. Yeah. yeah. Um, or who is uh, who wants more fun versus who wants more intellectual stimulation? You're going to have yes. all these sorts of dynamics. So, I'm assuming you've really thought, been thoughtful around how you design to get the most out for so everyone can grab onto something that's meaningful that's to them. Exactly right. So, so you want to cover um, as many of the learning styles as you possibly can. I mean, we've modern research talks about people learning in different ways and, um, you know, try and address some of those uh, different styles at different stages of your delivery. Mm -hmm. So that way you've got the best chance of engaging people for at least some of the time uh, through the time that you've got also understanding you mentioned that bell curve also understanding that in a hundred with a hundred people in a room you probably in my experience you're probably going to find five people that at the end of the experience go well, what the hell was that all about <laughs> I, i've got no idea but i've also over years learned that you can't design content to please those five you've got to design content to 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 please the 95 people that are in the room that do connect and do are looking for something like that so that's the way i've kind of i work anyway yeah no i think i mean from my experience with different clients who have been through this journey it's uh it's easy to look at those five and go oh well it didn't work for yeah. those five right but it's uh but ultimately what's the goal of the opportunity it's to, to move the dial in terms of some sort of behavioral shift that they're seeking to, to yeah, introduce yeah and for every five that are completely anti um you'll find five that this could be a life-changing experience for mm. So, you know, if you go and do one, say, on an animal tracking experience um, and they go and do a virtual adventure animal tracking, you know, those, you know, five of those may well end up going to Africa and, and you know, having a, a time of their life. Mm. Um, so that's the way I kind of balance it out. Yeah. Um, you know, there's good and, there's good and bad there. Mm. That's very good. So this is a business. This is not just a uh, something you do because you're passionate about it. Mm. You've built that over the the years, and you've worked with, from what I gather, hundreds of companies, yeah, um, locally and internationally with these sorts of um, uh, scenarios. Um, maybe tell us a little bit. Maybe just as an example with a story with maybe one particular client or anyone. Where, where have you seen? Like, what are the big gains that you typically see at the end of these that you that have because resulted in the repeat business and the ongoing relationships and the new the new work. Yeah. Um, well, well, there's a, there are a few there are a few options there. I mean, the the, the f one particular one that I'm thinking of a client is is you know, the initial engagement was just a keynote. It was an hour long keynote. I was going to be talking about high performance cultures, and um, it really did hit hit the mark. And uh, the CEO came to me afterwards and had that conversation about well, what's next kind of idea and. It morphed into one of these virtual adventures. Um, so the keynote was to just to the senior executive. Uh, then the virtual adventure became an opportunity to take some of those ideas, but then use those to a much broader audience. So it ended up being 200 or so people, um, you know, three months later. Mm -hmm. 
And then uh, this is an international company. Um, so we went on a bit of a roadshow and we, you know, we integrated um, and the conference content that they were going to be running on their roadshow. We integrated that into the virtual adventure itself. Mm-hmm. So instead of running three hours of a teaming experience uh, or um, animal tracking experience, we ended up running two or three days with them where we would have part of the animal tracking and then we would connect the business content and then mm. the next part of the animal tracking and the business content. So it became like an integrated agenda. Uh, and then, yeah, then there was an asynchronous component as well, you know, so it kind of um, me- me- meaning that what happened is that people could download content afterwards um and then uh, these were this was with what we call people leaders so they had eight reports um people reporting into them so two weeks afterwards after the roadshow they would go to their team as part of their normal team meeting and we would provide them with like a little uh series of questions and a facilitator guide on how to take them through the process um that they'd just gone through uh, at the conference so you know at some of them go, they start small, but they grow over time. And some of our clients, of course, are huge organizations where it might go really well in one section of the business, but then it might move to a different section of the business. You know, you know, you'd move horizontally in an organization through the different layers. Mm-hmm. And then you so, might even need to redesign it and reshape exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah. Of course. Each each client, you know, many, well, not most clients come with slightly different uh you know, outcomes that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Each each part of the business is in a different stage of evolution. Some are looking to, to grow. Some are looking to consolidate. Some, are, you know, there's different things. So that comes in what we call the design stage. So yeah. I'd have a conversation with the senior leader about what they're really looking to do. Where does you know what what precedes this and what's going to happen after this and try and because I think that's part of what adds to cynicism is that when you go on a conference in a meeting where nothing really changes, it's just seen. Yeah, it doesn't really tie to any kind of um, execution plan or connect to the strategy in any kind of way. And I think that's a mistake. I think we need to, the culture conversations need to be part of the business conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the, um, for larger organizations, particularly, you know, that's a challenge that I've seen for years, yeah. you know, the, the, the idea that we have this sort of uh, wow event, you mm. know, and we get these sort of spike of energy yes. and then nothing, nothing's really deliberate in its change. And the other thing that comes with that, I, I wonder if you've noticed this as well, is that that wow has such a high, we hit back into the face of the business. Yeah. And, and we've got to realize that there's all these incremental consistent efforts that need to come into place to build yeah. that team, um, I guess, experience or the, or the culture that we're trying to create. It's, it's, it, it requires us leaning into some pain. It requires us building new things. There's, there's all these layers of yeah, uh, and, and change it, that is required. Exactly. And it requires a system to be built that allows for, for, you know, the new ideas to flourish. Mm. Uh, it allows for action plans to, uh, you know, to be implemented and to be measured. You know, it, it, that's why we find in our, in our work anyway, when we can work with um, uh, internal advocates in the organization, both at a senior level, yes, but also in, the, in a sort of learning and development HR level where, where you can embed some of these ideas into some of the existing systems that they're working, those are the ones that are most successful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's integrated. It's it's already in the system. It's exactly. leveraging existing momentum, yeah. and it might even have some key words or key phrases or exactly. moments of truth that come out from your your sessions that gets left as a trail of of the uh, 
things to come, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, there was a story of, uh, one, you know, we've got a mountain climbing virtual adventure and there's a phrase in mountaineering um, when, two tech, when two mountaineers are on a technical peak, um, they'll often be roped together. And when, when, when we rope together, we call it, we're on belay. Mm. Um, and uh, one of the ways in which we get teams in a conference environment to signal when they are done, they've had their deliberation, they've made their decision in the virtual adventure, and they're ready to move on, is that we get them as a group to stand up and, you know, in a big environment anyway, sing the phrase on belay. Wow. See, that's a, that's a, that's a, and it sounds a little corny now, but it works beautifully in a big group. And um, uh, a couple of years ago, I was walking down George Street the other day. Well, I was walking down George Street and I heard somebody from across the road turn around and say, on belay, <laughs> just shouted across the side there. And that's from a client from you know, four years before that had gone through one of these experiences and had kind of remembered that whole sort of activation sort of moment. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those are the little things that creates a, a language and um, and it also actually creates an anchor uh, which people can think back on when mm. the organization and teams were functioning well and, uh, you know, it was a positive experience for them that was fun and challenging. And so that's how you get that kind of thing pop up. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's uh... – <laughs> For anyone listening, these are things that are really important for your team. It's get, the, the more memorable, the more aligned people become. Yeah. Um, the more they can recall it, the more they can talk about it. Um, there's so much noise in a business these days, yeah. right? So um, these simple concepts that can can permeate, you know, from from an event like that. Yeah. It's so cool. And 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 don't forget that that the, that we can have fun. Like sometimes, you know, the world is the world is a challenging place. Um, and uh, I think sometimes we 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 don't give ourselves enough permission to 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 have some fun. Uh, well, I know you have. I mean, you get dressed up, don't you, when you do the <laughs> when you do these things? Yeah, I do. That's true. When I do the mountaineering one, I'm dressed in my Gore-Tex and uh, and I have fun with that. But when I do the safari one, I'm dressed in my my khaki clothes. And uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I lean into it. It's it's life's. Life can be boring. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hey, too- actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it now because I know you've got more animal sounds. So if yeah. you're leaning into it, let's have a bit of fun. What's give us gives you top three animal sounds? Uh, it's always good to hear. You know, for most people, yeah, you know, when they think about um, Africa and the animals that they'd most like to see, what what animal bread do you think the that international tourists when they go to Africa, what do they most want to want to see and hear? The lion. You got it. So yeah, there's a lion. <laughs> a lot of people think that a lion kind of is that Metro Goldman Mayer sort of growl, snarl, you know, yeah. at the start of every movie. That's not a that's not a lion roar. A lion roar starts deep in the gut and it starts to build. So I'll try and do I'm gonna do a very poor imitation of a lion a lion roar, but I'll have a go. It's and then it goes and it builds and it gets louder and louder and louder and louder. And if you're at, if you're in an open air Land Rover, you can hear it from five, six kilometers away. Wow. If, if you're right next to it, 30, 30, 30 meters or so, man, it is, I don't know, it's part terrifying, part thrilling, all wrapped up in one. It, it, it really does it touch, resonate. It touches oh, your soul. Sure. And if you look, and if you look at a line when it's doing, you know, and they do, they tend to look at you when they do. <laughs> 
there's definitely a thing that somewhere, you know, because we're all out of Africa, of course, yeah. aren't we? Or are they just looking at you because they know you understand? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I, I, I don't know, but they, I, I think there's something deep down in us that we recognize that we were once competing for the same resource. And that, that is, that is just the, that, that does tend to make you feel alive. Mm. Mm. So that's one. That's one. That's, you got one more? You got a couple more? Um, I'll, uh, there's a, there's a, yeah, the, the, a common one is baboon yeah. and particularly around leopard. So that's a, that's a, he's choking. It sounds like a choke, but that's what they do. They, they, they make a barking sound. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, most, most animals in Africa have got some warning mechanism that warns their troop or their herd or other animals around. And if you are plugged into that language yes. as a human, um, you can you can predict what is can happen happen around you, yeah, yeah, which is very very useful and actually allows you to stay safe um, in in an environment that can can be can be a you know inherently unsafe. Uh, very, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you need you need to jump back in that that uh, Land Rover pretty yeah. quickly sometimes. Yeah. I'd imagine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, mate, I, I appreciate those. Yeah, those yeah. It was uh, oh, it was a bit of fun, and I. Uh, I reckon you got plenty more where that came from, but I'll let you. I'll leave that for your clients. That's for later. I'll leave yeah. that for your clients to hear. Um, keen to hear about the production of these uh, virtual experiences. Mm. So I'm sh- you've got a handful now. I think there's yeah, seven yeah. or eight of them. Mm. Um, so when we're doing surfing, or what does that look like to for your team to pull together those productions? Well, it, it, I mean. Because it was a new idea and we hadn't really thought of our first one was mountains. Mm-hmm. So I had a, a, a friend of mine that was a mountaineer at the time, and he just finished doing a lifelong um, goal of skiing extreme descents on mountains on all seven continents. And he mm-hmm. wanted to get into the keynoting game. Mm-hmm. And I and I said, "Oh, I'm not sure about that. It's uh, you know, why would I hire you versus Sir Edmund Hillary?" Was my question. Um, and you know, to his credit, he thought, well, maybe we'll do something different. So we went and climbed um, a, a mountain in New Zealand called Mount Kokoraki, um, which is a technical mountain. Mm-hmm. And we decided to film everything. Um, we came back. We had the original idea of creating these sort of uh, team-based experiences. When we arrived at the studio, though, the editor turned around and said, I, I get what you're trying to achieve over here, but you've just filmed what you did. Um, and if you want to make a credible decision tree, you need to go and climb that mountain again because I need more footage to splice together. And, and the result sure of, and the result of different decisions too. Exactly. <laughs> so you've, you wear the same Gore-Tex so we can, you know, so we can make it look like it's the same. So we ended up climbing uh, in the Mount Cook region six times in a period of three years in order to get the footage that we needed for our first region. So it was a big investment and that was the concern. As a business owner, you turn around saying, well, we're spending a lot of time doing all of this thing that may or may not work. Why don't we be clever here and we storyboard everything and we try and we try and recreate typical mountaineering. It was a complete disaster because none of us are actors and it was just awful. Um, so that's what that's how that's if you know we spoke a little earlier about how it evolved, where where we go into an environment with a certain set of learning outcomes that we're looking to um, achieve from an end product point of view mm-hmm. and then reverse engineer the experience. So when we're going through the bush we, uh, or we're going up the mountain or we're doing whatever it is, we have become 
better or collectively we become better at identifying certain situations that might connect to the learning outcomes we're looking for. Mm -hmm. And then we film both sides of the scenario right then and there. Um, so that's how we've kind of, that's how we've sort of streamlined the production process. But, our, you know, we'd end up on a typical uh, adventure. We'd, we'd end up with uh, 150 hours worth of footage. Yeah, wow. And um, about 45 minutes of that would, would end up in an actual you know, interactive documentary virtual adventure. Well, my, my, my little business strategy brain goes on and says, at least you've got a competitive advantage um, because not many other people are going to put the effort in <laughs> to create <laughs> 150 hours worth of footage um, without the expertise, without the capability, yeah. um, without going through the experimentation and, and naturally without the clients, which you've obviously got. So yeah. you know, to do it a few times now. Um, but I would be lying to say that it wasn't fun. So we've deliberately mm. also picked topics that, you know, I, I'm I'm keen and our team is keen on cave diving as a concept. I was about to say, I'm sure like all of these things sound like your they're just your dreams. <laughs> so how do I make money out of this? No, just keep quiet with that, Brad. That's I'm, uh, that's uh, that's one of our secrets. No, we, we've we've um, no, I mean we definitely we 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 pick topics that are interesting for us, but also fun for us to do because we think that it comes across in the films um, and in the video clips, you know, it, it's just natural then. It's, it's not, we're not forcing anything. So yeah. where's your uh, surfing one based? Uh, it's actually based off a guy called Mark Matthews, big wave surfer. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, Mark's uh, it's surfed around the world, uh, big wave surfs around the world. So uh, most of the footage is shot in Australia, but there's also footage that's shot in Hawaii uh, off uh, cloud break in Fiji. Wow. Uh, but it's not all big wave in that one. It's not all big wave uh, footage. It's actually more skewed towards how does a big wave surfer deliver a return on investment for their sponsors? Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's about also the creative um, or the way in which uh, Mark uh, creates interesting surfing content that ultimately sells Land Rovers and, you know, Red Bull and Ray-Bans. Um, yeah, that's, <laughs> which is, which is, it's pretty cool actually. So it's a blend of, it's a blend of the, you know, testosterone, you know, big wave surfing piece, but then also how do you translate that into something that is a, a business? Commercial value. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Okay. Very cool. So they're all, they're all hitting different angles and they apply to different scenarios for different clients. Yeah. I mean, we, we made that as a, uh, something right from the start is that why would we create another virtual adventure that basically did the same job as the previous one did? Mm -hmm. You know, they end up competing against one another. So you're better off having a library of, of uh, adventure content where a client comes with a particular business problem, you say, yep, we think that cave diving is the one that you need there. Or, yep, we think the mountain climbing one is the one that you need there. Uh, so we, you know, we try and match client problem with adventure theme and then content within that adventure theme. So it's kind of like a, um, you know, if you think about a decision tree that's set, you'd pick certain video clips to fill certain areas to lead to certain conversations that ultimately or what you're trying to achieve from mm. a program point of view. Yeah, because it can be fairly predictable. That makes sense. Mm. So I'm going to change gears a little bit, mm. uh, Ian, and, and, you know, often our listeners love to hear not only about the story and the business and the product, but they love like mm. to hear about you. Okay. And we've had, we've had a bit about you at the start, but I, I'd be curious to hear, like you've been at this for a while and you've done pretty well out of it and you've had, you know, the very successful journey. What, what, um, 
what has been the big learning for you in building this business? What are some of the big aha moments you've had personally as a leader, as someone entrepreneurial in, in nature? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, I would love to turn around and say it's strategically, Brad. I, I you know, I, you know, um, I planned this business from the start and how it was all going to unfold, and you know, and that I've got a clear exit strategy at the end. And I, but I would be lying if I said that. I mean, my, I kind of, I feel like I've been very lucky when it comes to finding something that ultimately, you know, the bush changed my life. The African bush changed my life. And then just kind of finding these sort of opportunities along the way. Um, you know, I've been very lucky when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. um, initially, I was very naive. I just thought it was all about just, 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 just growing, just growing your business. You know, just as long as you're doing lots of programs and you're generating lots of sales, and you know, you could handle any costs. As I've got older and older and older, I've become a little bit more careful about um, uh, um, spending. Mm -hmm. um, and allocating resources and thinking carefully about how, um, how you grow. Uh, the big, the big challenge, we, we made a, uh, a mistake early on in our business that as it sort of took off and started to grow, that we would employ, um, a number of facilitators and grew our team, all of whom were on, on our books mm. effectively. And then, you know, took a while to realize that ultimately, you know, you know, the tail starts to wag the dog. There, you start to take sales. You look, you know, you start to you start to look for for work to be able to satisfy your payroll. Um, so over the years, I've kind of changed the way in which I've um, I've um, I've decided how to grow the business. Mm -hmm. um, been much more cost cost uh, cost conscious and turn dollars over carefully. You know? yeah. I, I figure for every, for, in our business anyway, for every dollar that we make in a sale or that we can save in costs, we've got to make three in a sale. Um, so, yeah. Oh, it makes sense. I, yeah. I know the game. It's, uh, and, 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 you know, I think that's part of the beauty of um, any services-based business where you've got IP yeah. and, and, you know, you can design that around you know, you've got at the center of that something quite repeatable, which is the system yeah, yeah. of uh, delivery. Uh, the facilitators are a cost, the, the back office and all of the organization and the sales process is a cost. And it's yeah. balancing out how you how you decide to design that, right, and how yeah. you decide to deploy that. But um, having uh, yeah, facilitators or historically quite a few of them myself, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, expensive exercise sometimes and it can it can get like that you just got to get that you've just got to get the balance right between having people that um are as passionate as you about uh the purpose of the organization that are not on the books mm. um uh, that's that that for me is that is the challenge is to, is to get the right consultants that mm -hmm. you that you deploy at the right time mm -hmm. to be able to deliver a right result f for your client so that yeah. it, so everyone's winning in all you know there's three parties in that in that in that exercise and everyone's got to win otherwise it's not sustainable absolutely and i think for anyone of the, the facilitators and consultants that are listening to this they'll probably appreciate it. a lot of them love the flexibility they yeah, don't exactly. want to have a job 100%. they love the idea that i only have to work for ian for a couple of days and i'll turn up to that client I'll do a fantastic job i'll wow them I'll make sure that the experience lands and I want to go off and do whatever I do, whatever I enjoy. A lot of them have that portfolio type of employment experience. Yeah. Very different to the traditional 
in all other very traditional functional roles. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing that, and it's kind of funny, you know, COVID as all of us have, I've got our stories around COVID, but COVID was devastating for our business uh, because, you know, everything that we did initially anyway was, was facilitated live and in person. Mm-hmm. And of course, when you get locked into your home and you can't do that, that just destroys your business model overnight. Mm-hmm. So for us, that was really challenging. And for the first sort of three or four months, um, was scrambling to try and find a way to recover. But um, but interestingly enough, six months into COVID, uh, what I discovered is that people would would phone me. Other small consultants would phone me, and they would say, you know, they're in the same boat. Um, they were looking for interesting content that they could use the video conferencing platforms for to be able to engage with their clients. So it ended up being a boon for us because of course we started to do more licensing. So Mm -hmm. my attention then was taking, you know, all our collective um, IP and creating facilitator guides and a process where we could certify other people. So that's partly where our business is moving towards, is moving towards more as um, a licensing business. Mm -hmm. And my role is changing from being somebody delivering in room or training our consultants to deliver in room into creating more content that feeds other consultancies, um, fresh ideas um, down the lines. It makes complete sense. The, uh, the blessing in disguise, COVID. Yeah, <laughs> didn't feel like it at the time. It was, uh, it was, uh, uh, it was white knuckle time for a while there. But um, yeah, it was a, it was just a, a lesson that that uh, that we learned. Very good. So that's uh, that's playing out. I'm. I often ask many of our guests this question, and um, I'll ask it to you as well because I think you've had a lot of experiences with your clients. You've had you've been through some learnings with this business. What's something you've changed your mind on uh, over the years? And when I say change your mind, not you know I've said it uh, said it this morning actually. You know, not not picking a different bus to ride, but mm. something that's fundamentally shifted in terms of the way you you deal with business or you look at the world or something that you've evolved. Um. I've certainly become I've certainly become less impulsive. Um, my natural inclination is to is to go with my gut um, and move quicker than most. Um, I've learned over the years to take a little bit more time and to when an opportunity presents itself and to think a little bit more carefully about how I go about doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think yes, that's that's definitely something I've become better at doing, and I've changed my mind about. Mm. I, I think, yeah, you know, there's this cliche, this kind of analysis paralysis. I'll never be that man, um, but I, I will be more considered um, and a bit more careful. Um, but then when when I press go, you know, you're all in, man. You're all in. Yeah, you, you're not at that point in time. You've made your choice, and you're going. So I've done better at that. Mm. Was there ever a moment where you were shooting from the hip where you, you had some regrets? Is there, is oh, there a learn, yeah, is there anything that stands out for you? Oh, I mean, we, we, we built a whole bunch of programs, you know, where we've invested. We thought this was going to be a great adventure theme and we've gone down that path and we've, you know, we've spent tens of thousands of dollars on adventures and it just hasn't resonated or landed with a client. Mm. Um, you know, we've done that probably three or four times. Um, you know, over the 20 years that we've been in this business. 
So we've definitely, I've definitely made, I've also made mistakes when it comes to selecting people that mm. are in, have been in the business. I've made mistakes like that in the past. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's been lots of mistakes. The, 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 I mean, the question of course is, is, do you learn from them? Do you keep making those same ones or do you, or do you, you know, do you, do you, um, you know, as I say, learn? Learn, evolve, become a little bit more analytical. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah exactly. Just a little bit, just yeah. enough. <laughs> Not too much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, there's a lot to be said about, you know, you, you think about most entrepreneurs and lots of people on this, listening to this will understand this, is yeah. that your strength is leaning into the ambiguities. Your yeah. strength is going, taking action in spite of uh, not having the full answer yeah. uh, a lot of the time, uh, particularly early on, right? Yeah. Uh, you've, you're taking risks that are not define they're, they're difficult to define um there might be marketplaces that you're you're trying to generate uh, or, or create that um haven't got enough sophistication in them so anything you're doing in that market requires a lot of learning and takes action and takes takes courage to lean into it right so yeah. you don't you don't necessarily want to lose that do you and, and, and you know um also you know, being aware of cultural differences so what works in australia um may not work in uh, Southeast Asia, mm. you know, um, there's a whole different decision-making process there. Um, so yeah, I mean, these are just things that you learn through experience. I, I, I don't know if it's being more analytical, but probably more strategic. More strategic. I, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just, just know when to go a little slower, um, and to, and to make sure that you are not missing any, um, information that might allow you to make a better decision. I think that's the, for me, that's what it is. Avoid the blind spots. Yeah, exactly. Uncover and, and, them. Yeah, I'll try your best. I mean, they're, they're always going to be around, but 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 just know that this is the time when you just need to tap the brakes a bit, um, ask other people, ask more experienced people. Mm -hmm. um, don't just don't just go like a bull in a china shop mm -hmm. and go with your gut and, and away you go. What, what are some of the moments that tell you you need to put the brakes on what are some that what is it that you feel it do you notice it what, what? uh definitely moving into a new market would definitely be one of those where don't make assumptions about the fact that uh that it's going to go uh, swimmingly well and all i need to do is repeat what i did in this market in this market that it's going to work i i think that's a mistake so for me moving into a new new market would be one of those um uh, definitely picking um, a licensee, somebody that would would be ultimately be delivering RIP into uh, into a market. Um, that's something that you need to that where you need to go slow slowly, and you need to meet meet them face to face and have clear understanding as to what their intentions are and what your intentions are, and you know, set up that relationship well to start with. Don't just get excited and you know and agree. Um, those would be two that would definitely be for me Stand top out. of mind. Yeah, um, mm. very good. Well, Ian, you've been uh, very thorough. We've got we've had animal noises. <laughs> we've had the stories of understanding and, and looking at cultural change in business. We've had the story of your own business and its evolution, and you know all the cool cool ways that things would have been produced at uh, probably unpacked a little bit. We didn't go into a lot of detail there, but it was, it was really insightful. And I, I think what's really cool about someone like yourself is that, you know, you, you've, you've been able to live your, your passions out and evolve your passions through, mm. through your work. So, uh, you know, it was, it was, I could see when we started today and you started talking about that, uh, 
relationship with nature, you, 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 your eyes were lit up and you were in, the energy was on, mate. So uh, I hope that continues day to day. I'm sure in business that you get your ups and downs. But do you have, do you have those moments where you, um, where you just have a little look at uh, some of the video footage and it takes you back? Oh, for sure. I mean, that's part of the driver, isn't it? Is to, you know, I like, uh, you know, I like recording some of the experiences in the field because, you know, to be honest, that's where I'm happiest. That's where I'm my guide, mm. you know, um, and that's really who I am as a person I've discovered over the years anyway. Very good. Well, you've been our guide today. You've helped us out. Learned a little little bit along the way, mate. But uh, look, I wish you all the best. I want to say thanks for investing time in the podcast and, mate, you've... Uh, on Go Forth and Conquer. Thanks very much, Brad. Anytime. Good on you. Thanks, Thank Ian. you. Thank you.